Welcome to Words to Live By, a podcast series hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. Each week, we will share some of the wit and wisdom of Ronald Reagan. In essence, Words to Live By, made up of radio addresses and speeches he delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. Well, it's baseball season, and as you know, our national pastime was a favorite of our 40th presidents, though he never really played the game. Why, you ask? Well, because of his eyesight. He always said the ball wasn't big enough. So Ronald Reagan spent more time on the track, in the pool, and on the gridiron, but Baseball was still a great love of his, and an important part of his life, actually. Even his father, Jack Reagan, played a little baseball around the late 1800s in Bennett, Iowa. Young Reagan never considered himself much of a baseball player, and once admitted that he was the last kid chosen in every game. In 1949, his worst injury in sports came during a charity baseball game in Hollywood. Reagan was either tripped or slid into the first baseman, fracturing his leg in three places. In those days, he was in the hospital for eight weeks, in traction afterwards and then in a cast. But in his lifetime, he told several absolutely terrific stories about the sport and sometimes even related them to conservative principles. (laughs) Here's a short one. Let's listen. I also believe that we conservatives if we mean to continue governing, must realize that it will not always be so easy to place the blame on the past for our national difficulties. You know, one day the great baseball manager, Frankie Frisch, sent a rookie out to play center field. The rookie promptly dropped the first fly ball that was hit to him. On the next play, he let a grounder go between his feet and then threw the ball to the wrong base. Frankie stormed out of the dugout, took his glove away from him and said, I'll show you how to play this position. And the next batter slammed a line drive right over second base. Frankie came in on it, missed it completely, fell down when he tried to chase it, threw down his glove and yelled at the rookie, you got center field so screwed up, nobody can play it. (laughs) The point is, (laughs) we, we must lead a nation. And that means more than criticizing the past. Indeed, as T.S. Eliot once said, only by acceptance of the past will you alter its meaning. Oh, you got to love the guy. (laughs) So in this podcast, we're going to hit the baseball high notes and bask in the great talent of our 40th president who knew how to tell a story. We'll start with one during his Hollywood days, recalling when he played the great baseball player Grover Cleveland Alexander in the movie The Winning Team, 1952. In order to be convincing, Reagan spent two hours a day with pitcher Bob Lemon of the Cleveland Indians, learning the difference between throwing from the mound and just throwing. Well, let him tell the story. Let's listen. Baseball, I had to finally confess over here, no, I didn't play uh, when I was young. I went down the, the football path, but I did play in a Cleveland Alexander. I've been very, uh, very proud of that. It was a wonderful experience. There were uh, quite a few ball players, including Bob Lemon, who were on the set for that picture. 
And I remember one day when they wanted some shots of me pitching, but kind of close up, so they wanted me to throw past the camera, and they had a fellow back there, well, Al Lyons, one of the ball players that was there, catch the ball back there and then toss it back over the camera to me. And the camera was getting these close shots for use wherever they could use them. And uh, he was on one side of the camera, and uh, my control wasn't all that it should be at one point, and I threw it on the other side of the camera. And he speared it with his left hand with no glove on. He had the left-hander. And uh, after he brought the ball to me, and he said, Alex, I'm sorry I had to catch your blazer barehanded. <laughs> he didn't suffer any pain, I, I'm sure. But I remember we had a fellow that I'm sure some of you know and remember, Metkovich. And Metkovich, during the day's shooting, would memorize everyone's lines. And then if we were on location and get in a bus to go back in from location, he would now play all the scenes for us on the bus. So thinking about this, one day on the process screen, an umpire behind him, he was at the plate, and they wanted a shot of a ball player at the plate. And the director said, there are no lines, but you know what to say. He said, the umpire is going to call it a strike. And he said, you don't think it's a strike, so do what you do in a ball game when you think it's a bad call. And the extroverted Metkovich, who was so happy to play all the scenes, was standing up at the plate, and if you look closely, you could see that the bat was beginning to shake a little bit. And the ball came by, and the actor playing the umpire balled, balled out strike one. And Metkovich lowered the bat, and he says, Gee, that was no strike. picture wasn't a comedy, so we couldn't leave it in. But you know, I've always been sorry about one thing. Alex is in the Hall of Fame, and deservedly so. Everyone knows that great 1926 World Series. We had won two games, received the greatest ovation anyone's ever received, and then was called on in the seventh inning with the bases loaded, no one out, and one of the most dangerous hitters in baseball at the plate came in and, and saved the game. The tragedy that I've always regretted is that the studio was unwilling to reveal in the picture, was afraid to unreveal what I think was the best kept secret in sports. A bad habit of Alex's was widely heralded and uh, took something away from his, his luster. But they wouldn't let us use the actual word of what was behind maybe his bad habit. Alex was an epileptic, and when he was arrested and picked up for being drunk in the gutter as he once was, he wasn't at all, but he would rather take that than admit to the disease that plagued him all his life. But he also, early in his baseball career, was hit in the head, going from first base down to second. On a throw from second, they caught him right in the head. He was out of baseball for a while, and they didn't know whether forever because he had double vision. And he kept experimenting, trying to find out if there wasn't some way that he could pitch. And he went to a minor league club and asked for a tryout, and the manager got up at the plate and said, well, why don't I and throw me a few? Alex broke three of his ribs on the first pitch. <laughs> his experiment had been that he thought if he closed one eye and threw, he'd only... He, 
And a friend that was with him when they were thrown out of the ballpark said, what happened? And he said, I closed the wrong eye. <laughs> And now, here's one of the president's finest stories, a true one from his radio days when he was broadcasting the Chicago Cubs games. Let's listen. I used to broadcast Major League Baseball. I was just talking to some of the Cardinals who were here today and talking about it. Did it here in the Midwest, the home games of the Chicago Cubs and the White Sox. I have a lot of memories. St. Louis Cardinals in those days were called the Gas House Gang. Nucky Medwick and Leo DeRocher and Dizzy Dean. I remember back when Bob Feller was just a, out of high school and starting with the Cleveland Indians, Al Lyons, and a great Cub team with Gabby Hartnett and Billy Jurgis and Billy Herman and so many others, and those names were all, I think, before many of you were born. But I had the privilege of broadcasting the Chicago Cubs one season when the only mathematical chance they had toward the end of the season to win the pennant was to win the last 21 games of the season. Couldn't drop a one, and they did it. It still stands in the record book as a baseball record. Now, I don't know why I brought that up, because they had to beat out the Cardinals to do it. <laughs> kind of tactless of me. But in one of those games with the cards, I can't resist telling you a little story, a little reminiscence here. Billy Jurgis of the Cubs was up at the plate, and I was broadcasting the game by telegraphic report. That meant I had a fella sitting on the other side of a window with a telegraph key and headphones on, and he got a dot and dash Morse code from the ballpark, and I took the slip of paper, and I announced the play. And I'd see him start typing, and I'd start in with the pitchers out of the windup, here comes the pitch, and take this, and it'd say S1C. And I'd say, and that's a cold strike, breaking over the outside corner to a batter that liked, and so forth and so on. Well, this particular day, it was the Cubs and the Cards, tied up, nothing and nothing, in the ninth inning. Billy Jurgis at bat, Dizzy Dean out on the mound. I saw Curly start typing, so I figured the next play is coming, and so I had old Diz come out of his windup, and Curly shaking his head no, and I didn't know what he meant, but he handed me the paper, and the paper says, the wire's gone dead. <laughs> well, I had a ball on the way to the plate. <laughs> and I knew there was one thing you could say that never gets in the scorebook. So I had Billy foul one off. And then I thought, ninth inning, and there's a half a dozen other announcers they can turn to to get the rest of this game if I tell them we'll play a little music while we fix the wire. So <laughs> I didn't. I figured I'll have him pump and foul another one off. And then he fouled one that all missed my home run by a foot. And then he fouled one back at third base, and I described the kids that had a fight over the baseball. And he kept on fouling them until I was beginning to set a world record for a batter hitting successive fouls. And finally, after about 12 minutes at the plate, I saw Curly start typing again, and he was nodding yes. So I started another ball on the way to the plate, and when he handed it to me, I started laughing. I could hardly say it. The message said, Billy popped out on the first ball pitched. <laughs> More about Ronald Reagan, along with Baseball's Hall of Famers and Bowie Kuhn, right after this message. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself. 
and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now, back to the story. Just months into his first term, he hosted 32 members of the Hall of Fame at a White House luncheon on March 28, 1981. Immortals like Joe DiMaggio, Willie Mays, Stan Musial, Sandy Koufax, Bob Feller, Bob Gibson, and Bill Dickey spent the afternoon talking baseball with the 40th president. And according to most accounts, it was Reagan who was most in awe. But here's the fun part. Commissioner of Baseball at the time, Bowie Kuhn, presented the president with a gift, but it's his remarks that are absolutely classic. Let's listen. someone with the name of Earl as oil. But if they want a quart of oil in the car, they say, give me a quart of Earl. And Wake was sliding into second, and he heard twisting his ankle. And he's, instead of getting up there, he was lying there. And it was a deep hush over the whole ballpark. And then a Brooklyn voice was heard above all that silence. He said, he's heard his white. <laughs> take any more time doing this or we'd be here all day. They tell me that I'm supposed to go out there in front of the door to the blue room and because I haven't been able to say hello to all of you in here and I say there are many of you that were playing when I, when I broadcast in those telegraphic report games and not only recreated but as I've just told you now and then created <laughs> some of the ball game but I understand that we're going to have a chance outside here kind of a line say hello and goodbye at the same time to each one of you. But, and now I'm going to present you know, the commissioner something here that I think should be said. Commissioner, come on up here. Okay, fine. I just want to take a moment on behalf of all of us gathered here to, together to uh, thank the president for his great kindness in, in having us all here today. I want to just do one little thing that I, that I found. I want to I say to the president on behalf of baseball that I think we have contributed mightily to the president's situation here in Washington because he was a Cubs fan, as you can tell. And uh, I've got an article I found in the Chicago Tribune which plainly indicates that baseball has prepared him for his career here. It says, for four years, Ronald Reagan broadcast games for the Cubs and in the process became that rarest of nature's noblemen, Dave Broder, a Cub fan. Nothing before or since those four years has prepared him more fully to face with fortitude the travails of the Oval Office. As a Cub fan, he learned that virtue will not necessarily prevail over chicanery. 
that swift failure follows closely on the heels of even the most modest success, that the world mocks those who are pure in heart but slow of foot. But, and here's the good news, Mr. President, but that the bitterest disappointment will soon yield to the hope and promise of a new season. In 1988, the President joined Harry Carey in the press box for almost two innings of a Cubs game. He told Carey, you know, in a few months, I'm going to be out of work, and I thought I might as well audition. Well, just a month later, the Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series and visited the White House. And hang in there. Listen to this. The president closes with a great story. Let's listen. Thank you all for coming. And would you all please join me in welcoming this, this year's World Series champs, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Owner Peter O'Malley, Executive Vice President Fred Clare, Manager Tommy Lasorda, and the rest of the team, it's great to have you here. But I want you to know that we need to get this ceremony in quickly because Tommy's already volunteered to cook lasagna, <laughs> and I want to give him enough time in the kitchen. You never want to rush an artist, you know. Well, in my job, you're president of all the people and you're not supposed to play favorites. But I must confess that after the World Series began, I just knew the winner was going to be a team from California. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't help but recognize the lady who threw out the first pitch. That was some fastball, Nancy. <laughs> but seriously, your Just Say No campaign has awakened a nation to the dangers of illicit drug use, and I'm glad to have you on my team. <laughs> Tommy Lasorda, perhaps you best summed up this year's Dodger season when you said, after it was all over, this just shows what can happen when you want something bad enough. Well, you Dodgers not only wanted this title badly, but you went for it with all you had. It's the kind of year that would have made even Harry Houdini jealous. <laughs> Let's remember that before this season started, few baseball writers expected the Dodgers even to win their division. Yet you fellas took the National League West, tripped up the powerhouse New York Mets in the League Championship Series, and then wrapped up the title by beating the Oakland Athletics in five games. I guess it just never occurred to this bunch that someone else was supposed to win. But you did it, and you did it with guts and determination. Oral Hershiser, you capped a sensational year by winning three postseason games, including two in the series. And you're the first pitcher ever to win the Most Valuable Player Award for both the League Championship and World Series in the same year. I've spent a few years in Hollywood, but I don't think a better script could have been written for game one with Kirk Gibson's dramatic ninth inning home run. Then there were guys like Mickey Hatcher who hit one homer all year, but two during the World Series. And there were plenty of others who contributed too. Rookie pitcher Tim Belcher, reliever Alejandro Pena, led a fine supporting cast of pitchers. And let's not forget guys like 
Mike Marshall, Steve Sachs, John Shelby, and Franklin Stubbs, veteran catchers like Mike Sosha and Rick Dempsey, everybody played a part. Somebody even remarked that your physician, Dr. Frank Joby, sought to get ought to get a raise for all the week he did in, or work he did in nursing injured players. Well, it was quite a dream season for the Dodgers, and I hope for each of you that this dream lasts a long time. As for the Oakland A's, Tommy Lasorda called them one of the strongest teams ever to play in a World Series. Any team that wins 104 games during the regular season is bound to be back. Watching some of the outfielders in the series reminded me of a little story. By the time you get to be my age, everything reminds you of a story. <laughs> well, this one's about a minister who walked by the lobby of a hotel one morning and noticed a, ball, noticed a ball player that he knew by sight. So he said to the player, one thing I've always wondered, why must you fellas play ball on Sundays? Well, Reverend, the player said, Sunday's our biggest day. We have the best crowds, make the most money, and after all, Sunday is your biggest day too, isn't it? Well, the minister nodded his understanding and then added, but there's a little difference. I'm in the right field. And the player said, so am I, and the sun's horrible out there. Isn't it? <laughs> well, the sun really shined on the Dodgers this year. So congratulations, champs. Good luck in the future. And may God bless you all. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to the Words to Live By podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of Words to Live By come out every Tuesday. Like what you hear? Check out our A Reagan Forum podcast featuring great speeches delivered at the Reagan Library. New episodes drop every Thursday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan 40 on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.